0: Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives forth bread from this earth. And I pray that if there are ever two children who come visit my home here, that you will give them the courage to say shalom, so that they will know they do not have to remain in hiding.
1: He's a good man. Amen. We are going to
0: stay. What's that sound I hear? Sheep don't sound like that. No, that's definitely not sheep. Maybe a rooster? Greetings, children. I'm telling you this because even though you are children and the elders in your life have lived longer, many times adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith really tightly, someday soon you will understand all of what I'm saying to you. I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. But I suspect they do not have the understanding you do. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me like you have.
1: Can totally picture Jesus fake farting to make children laugh. Uh, this was a clip from The Chosen and The Chosen is a series based on the life of Jesus and it is one of the few Christian productions that is actually also really well done. And throughout this Jesus in 3D sermon series we're gonna be using some clips from The Chosen to help us see Jesus in three dimension, right? To, to bring him the stories of the Gospels from pages in Scripture, to real life. And to help us do this beyond just Sunday mornings, we put season one of The Chosen on the Prodigal Church app. And we encourage you for deeper study and for your own personal spiritual journey to perhaps watch these episodes on the life of Jesus and to see if they spark something in you that moves you to follow Jesus more closely. You can also find The Chosen series online on other media outlets, but we made it available on our app uh, if you'd like to watch it there disclaimer, uh, this is not a sermon series about The, the Chosen, the TV show, um, but we are utilizing parts of the show to help bring the stories in 3D, in real life. The show is not the Bible. It's not the Gospels. We don't necessarily endorse every aspect of the show, but I was inspired to live and love like Jesus um, in a greater way because of watching it. Perhaps you will as well. And so now, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Did anybody else sing that in Sunday school growing up? Jesus does love the little children. We see this throughout the Gospels, but in particular, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, it says this, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them, jesus said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these when he had placed his hands on them he went on from there matthew says then people brought children little children to jesus and i want to zoom in on the word people here because i believe that matthew used it intentionally see in the first century uh this text was written in greek and the Greeks did have a word for parents, okay? The word was gonious. Um, Matthew does not use that word to describe these people. Why? Well, because it wasn't only parents that were bringing children to Jesus. Raising children was and is still a communal activity. So just because you don't have kids or that your kids are grown up doesn't give you a free pass not to bring children to Jesus. Some of you church folk are thinking right now, oh no, this is where he asks us to serve in kids ministry. Okay, no, I'm not gonna do that right now. That'll that'll come later, but not right now, okay? Whenever I picture this scene of people bringing their children to Jesus and him blessing them, I always picture this serene moment, almost peaceful. Everyone was in a single file line, a child might giggle or do a soft smile when they saw Jesus. That's how I pictured this scene. And then I had children and the Greek word here for little children, it's anyone from birth to age 12. Okay. It's a wide spectrum. You know, there was a mom with an infant and when she got to Jesus, she was just like, dear God, please let me get some sleep. Bless my child with melatonin, something to make them sleep through the night then there's the parent of a two-year-old or a three-year-old coming to meet Jesus. And then the kid is like, I don't want to meet Jesus. Now make me a sandwich and give me my tablet. That's I'm sure that happened. And the parents are like, you're going to meet Jesus. Um, and the parent brings them to Jesus. Jesus bless them or do an exorcism. I'm not sure what needs to happen. And the parent of the preteen is like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Their kid's like, whatever. Yeah, I don't care. I don't really care about anything ever. Uh, This was not a peaceful, serene, single file line for Jesus to bless. No, it's chaotic. And the disciples intervene and they're playing defense. And then Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes his disciples. And the gospel says that Jesus blessed them one by one. He took his time. The Greek word here for blessed, there's an intensity to it. It means that he blessed them fervently. It it was also in the imperfect tense so that it wasn't just a one-time thing, but it happened once and then it kept going. He kept on blessing them. This is the son of God on earth with only three and a half years uh, on earth for establishing the kingdom of God. And here he is with little children, one by one. Every baby mattered. Every toddler mattered. He kept on blessing them, a lot of parents, a lot of babies, a lot of work, a lot of holding. I think his arms were hurting. I think he was tired. I think his arms got peed on by little tiny babies. I think he got spit up on by babies, but he took his time and he kept on blessing them to show us a picture of the kingdom of Christ. Jesus showed us a picture of what we are to be like to inherit his kingdom. That's why throughout the scriptures, we are never called adults of God. We are called children of God. Jesus calls children and he calls us to become like children. And he's calling you and he's calling me. And let's read together in Luke 5, the calling of some of the other disciples. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. I love this story. Is Jesus being punny when he tells Peter, I will make you a fisher of men? Is Jesus using a clever pun to make a point? Hey, you are fishermen, so uh, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Or, hey, you're a plumber, and I'm going to help you flush away your bad decisions or wipe away your sin. I don't know, but I do think Jesus was funny, but I don't think that's what he was doing here. He's meeting them where they were, where they are, and he still does this. He calls the disciples, he chooses them. Jesus chooses his disciples. And this is so radical in the first century because in all other rabbi-student relationships, the student would choose the rabbi. They would literally go to the rabbi and ask for permission to be their disciple, to follow them, to learn from them, to walk in their steps, but not so with Jesus. They did not choose him, he chose them. Jesus initiates, Jesus makes the first move. And in this scene, in calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he's asking them to become like little children. He's asking them to do something that doesn't make sense to them. He's asking them to trust him. Cast your nets on the other side. Peter, James, Andrew, John have been out all night fishing without any luck. They knew every nook and cranny of where the fish are, where they hide. They've been fishing at this lake their entire lives. And Jesus says, put out to shore and cast your nets down. And they're like, Jesus, you don't get it. It It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is like, become like a little child. Trust me. Jesus wasn't a fisherman, yet he gives them instructions. Cast your nets on the other side. Have you ever had someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, tell you how to do something. Okay, you've been working on something, maybe you're trying to hang a picture on the wall, and you're working on it for like 30 minutes, and then she walks past you and says, "Uh, it's crooked, and you're like, you're crooked, okay? Okay, this is not from personal experience. This is just a random illustration. It has no relation to my actual life. Jesus was asking Peter to trust him, not on his own intellect. He's asking the same of us. What is Jesus calling you to that maybe just doesn't make sense, where you think you know better? The African impala can jump 10 feet high 30 feet wide. It's really, it's, it's one of the best jumpers on the entire planet. Yet they can be contained by a small five foot fence. They can jump 10 feet, jump out 30 feet, and yet they're contained by a five foot fence. Why? How? Well, because if, if the fence is solid, Impala will not jump unless they can see where they're going to land, unless they can see what's on the other side. These Impala have what it takes to leap the boundaries that they're placed in, but they remain fenced in because they can't see what's on the other side. These disciples dropped their nets. They followed Jesus, even though they didn't know it was on the other side. They trusted him like a little child. And right away, they knew it was going to take the supernatural spirit, uh, the supernatural power of Jesus, for them to be able to be his disciples. Because as they looked around the room, as they looked around the road of the other people who were following Jesus, they were all ragtags, okay? The other disciples were awful, okay? This group of disciples, this 12, included a few set of brothers, two of his cousins, two members of the opposite extreme political party, a doubter and a traitor. It was almost as if Jesus was modeling that a community of diverse people can find their center in him. That they don't have to to agree on all things politics or policy or life in general or career or style or affiliation, but Jesus was enough of a common denominator. When Jesus was picking the 12 disciples, I'm confident it didn't all happen at once, and I'm confident that it must have felt like an elementary kickball game at recess. Jesus, as he's selecting Peter, and then Andrew, and then James and John, Uh, and then it gets near the end, Nathaniel, And then everybody with Jesus is like, please not Matthew, please not Matthew. Okay, Matthew was the tax collector, okay? Everybody had some run-ins with this guy. They didn't like him. He was a traitor. And so they're like, please not Matthew, please not Matthew. And then Jesus goes, Matthew. And they're like, darn it. We hate that guy. There's another story in the gospels where James and John's mom Uh, try to talk to Jesus, get the inside scoop, and try and get her boys a better seat at the table to get them in a better position within the circle of disciples. And there's no way that the other disciples didn't give them a hard time about that, right? You've got 12 guys and two of them, their mom just went to Jesus to try to get them a better spot. I bet the other disciples were like, uh, you know, never let that slide, right? I could totally see it. What are you going to go do? Tell your mom, right? They would would ream each other. They would make fun of each other. They would tease each other. There would be laughs. There would be jokes. What's amazing about these disciples, this ragtag bunch, is that none of them were qualified. They weren't qualified to be his disciples. They were ragtag. They were misfits. They were riff-raff. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. If you think that you are not worthy, that you are not gifted, that you are not worthy to be called, you're just who Jesus is looking for. I was a youth pastor for 11 years. And we used to have these, these books, these silly books. They were kind of like discussion starters for teenagers. And so in a small group, kind of like an icebreaker or like on a long van ride on a mission trip or something, you would, uh, you know, ask one of these questions. It would begin to spark serious dialogue with the people in the van or the group. I remember there was one question that seemed to pop up over and over again. Perhaps you've been asked it. Okay, now there would be slight variations, but it was basically the desert island question, right? If you were stranded on a deserted island, what would you take with you? Or who would you wanna be stuck with or something to that effect, okay? And this would always make for some great conversation and the kids would get really creative with their answers. And you always had the kid who would look up at his girlfriend with those puppy dog eyes and he said that he would take her. And everyone's like gagging, right? And then there was the one who would always try and give you the Sunday school answer and they would say, I would bring a Bible. And everyone's like, no, you wouldn't. He's lying through his teeth. We had fun with those questions. And over the years, there have been a lot of stories, jokes, movies, and television shows that have centered on this question of being on a deserted island. There's something to this deserted island metaphor. Two of the greatest TV shows of all time took place on a deserted island. Can you name them? Right, We've got Gilligan's Island, and we've got Lost. Two fantastic shows. Why do these shows resonate? I find it strange and beautiful that in both shows, there's this eclectic group of ragtag bunch, right? Riff Raff. Very different from one another. And yet, it is only when they choose to put aside their differences and work together using their own gifts to benefit the whole, that they achieve what they need to achieve, to leave the island, to thrive. This is the story of the disciples, a ragtag bunch of Hebrews following Jesus together with all of these radical differences, and they're super unqualified, and yet they have Jesus. And when they work together, they achieve all things. This is the story of the church, a ragtag bunch of us, following Jesus together. And this is the story of Prodigal Church. We'll only thrive and be what we're called to be, to be who we're called to be if we work together. The great civil rights activist John Perkins said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Today marks two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. On March 11th, 2020, we recorded and posted a four minute and 23 second long video announcing that we would be moving to online services only for the foreseeable future. What we did not know then was that the foreseeable future would be more than a year. Uh, These past couple years have been very hard, hard on our nation, hard on our businesses, hard on our communities, hard on our families, Hard on us. How has Prodigal Church fared these past two years? Uh, This is a question I've often been asked these last couple of years. Our online ministry has grown immensely these past two years, as maybe you can imagine. Hundreds uh, are engaging with us all over the world. And we had a consistent audience from Russia. Uh, They can't right now access our podcast because of the sanctions that are happening because of the war in Ukraine. But citizens in Russia listening to prodigal Church. Many of you have found us online during the pandemic. We're grateful for you. You are a part of us. Our regular tithes and offerings have dropped about 35% since the beginning of the pandemic. We know that the pandemic took a toll on lots of us financially. We also know that other churches resumed indoor gatherings long before we did, and some of our people felt like they needed to go to a church that was meeting in person and indoors. And since the start of the pandemic, in-person church attendance has dropped 45% nationwide. We've certainly experienced some of that. When we first returned to in-person services, everybody wanted everything to open up again, but most people weren't ready to serve. And so for our staff, it was like, okay, well, this is just a season. But the vision God has given us at Prodigal is big and we need you. You who are watching online, you are a part of Prodigal Church and we need you. Maybe you don't live in the Central Valley and you can't make a Sunday morning service. We may never see you face to face, but we need you. We're all ragtags. You are our Gilligan, okay? We're all riffraff, but if we work together, we can leave this island, okay? I'm taking the metaphor a little too far. But we need you. I'm convinced that this is not only what's best for the church, your involvement, your giving, your prayers. I'm convinced it's best for you. Serving benefits you. This is a picture of the Roman aqueduct at Segovia. It was built in 109 AD, just 60 something years past the time of Jesus. For 1800 years, it carried cool water from the mountains to the hot and thirsty city. Nearly 60 generations of men drank from its flow. Then came another generation, a recent one, who said, this aqueduct is so great, it's so great a marvel that it ought to be preserved for our children as a museum piece. We shall relieve it of its centuries-long labor. And they did. They laid modern iron pipes. They gave the ancient bricks and mortar a reverent rest. And the aqueduct began to fall apart. The sun beating on the dry mortar caused it to crumble. The bricks and stones sagged and threatened to fall. What ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated. We as disciples of Jesus are to be filled up, to be poured out. If there's no outlet and we are just getting poured into, we will become stagnant. And so it Those of you who are watching online who don't live close to Prodigal Church, but you are a part of Prodigal Church, find a place to serve. Maybe it's a homeless shelter. Maybe it uh, is uh, your local school. Uh, I don't know what it is, but find a place to serve because we are filled up so that we can pour out. And you're like, I don't have time for this. It doesn't make sense for me. Perhaps Jesus is calling you to that childlike faith where you trust him, he's calling you to something that you don't understand. Now our team and volunteers here at Prodigal Church do an amazing job of setting up. As many of you know, we meet in a high school theater and so each Sunday morning, our team transforms the theater into this amazing sanctuary. Uh, a sanctuary not only for adults to worship and to learn from Jesus, but also for kids. An awful lot goes into pulling this off on Sunday mornings. Uh, For many of us, it's hard to imagine how everything looks during the week. And because of that, we made a video to show how every Sunday this high school is transformed into a worship center that we call Prodigal Church. Check this out. live and in-person service, um, uh, Pastor Brittany, our children's pastor and I both walk up and we begin to talk about some of the needs and the volunteer needs at Prodigal Church. Um, Those of you who are watching online, you're not able to see that or experience that. And so it would be easy to think of something like the, the bystander effect, okay? And I wanna warn you about this, okay? You have to be careful about this. The bystander effect is a real thing, it's a real phenomenon that if you have a group of people, four or more, that are watching a crisis, an emergency situation, When there's four or more people, the likelihood that one person will step forward and do something is only 31%. That's the bystander effect. Because everyone else feels like someone else should step in. Someone else should do something. And I don't want you to fall victim to that. So even now, sitting on your couch, listening on your car radio, on a run, on a walk with your headphones in, is the bystander effect affecting you? Like, oh, this doesn't apply to me someone else will. Is, is Jesus calling you? What's he calling you towards? Is he calling you to bless children, to bring people to Jesus, to bring children to Jesus? He's calling you to drop your nets. You've been focusing too much on your business, focusing, focusing on too much on you. And God says, no, 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 Follow me, trust me. And I know you may not have the time, you might, you might not think it makes sense, but Jesus says, trust me, have faith, take his hand, and you'll be blown away by the miraculous catch of fish. I'll close with this Anglican proverb. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you help us to do something, that our faith is not just something where we are poured into, but it flows out into a life of service in following you, Jesus. May we be covered with the dust of our rabbi because we're following so closely behind you, Jesus. So God, take us where you want us to go. We love you. Thank you for the calling on our lives that you choose us, this ragtag bunch of people, the riffraff. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. If you are watching currently and you do live in the Fresno Clovis area, you can head to our app or our website and fill out the volunteer form if you feel led or stirred to serve in some kind of capacity to forward the vision and mission of Prodigal Church, to love God and to love people. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in Ukraine.